You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. answerable to the rule of law. That's the big question. Who is answerable to the rule of law? This isn't just a question of, oh dear, that's unfortunate. This is now a tool that is going to be used in more and more societies around the world. And that is the lumping together natural disaster, development, reform, and revision, and um, no one is safe. No one is safe if, if what is happening now in Barbuda and in Barbuda is not um, challenged uh, full, with a full throat and, and stopped and reversed. Well, um, the, what we say, we kind of refer to this paradox or the paradox of property or the paradox of, of land ownership. And, and really, this goes back to um, the very institution of private property and land. So this isn't, this isn't a new thing. And obviously, we often forget, I think, that the idea of being able to own land as private property is, is actually relatively new in, in, in sort of human history. But when that process began to happen in, uh, in England to begin with, it really was a, a double-edged sword in the sense that on the on the one hand, it obviously gave birth to you know capitalism and the kind of uh, explosion of technological investment and wealth and all the rest of it. But on the other hand, the process by which that happened was very very disruptive. Um, and by nature, giving people some people rights over what was previously common resource uh, means taking away the rights. Of others, and obviously millions of people were driven off the land, often violently, and, and those who were allowed to, to stay found that they now had to pay rent to landowners to access what they had previously been able to get uh, for free. So on the one hand, land, we see private property and land is, is kind of freedom in the sense that you often hear from defenders of private property in the sense that it did enable the conditions for, for sort of wealth creation and the, and, the, and the development that followed, but at the same time it carried with it a sense of of dispossession and of theft, if you like. And that's where we kind of say that the, the famous expression that by Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, the anarchist theorist who said that property was both theft, which is his most famous line, but he also said that property was freedom. And we kind of argue that actually both of these can be true and it's kind of tension between these things that actually is driving a lot of the, the tensions that, that in, in, in modern capitalism and, and that this tension exists very much today in, in, in most countries. It just manifests itself in a very different way. And certainly in the UK and many other countries, the way that it's manifesting itself today most prominently is, is in the housing market, the dysfunctional housing market and the housing crisis that we see, uh, which is kind of putting a real dividing line through societies at the moment. Uh, because right now, ownership is not it's not even a, a remote dream for most Americans and, and, they, and again that, that has a positive aspect because ownership of land is the biggest fallacy in human 
uh, brain. Because we cannot own something that we didn't make. And no human being created the, the earth. That's why sometimes it's good to be religious, because religion puts the creation component to an abstract entity called God. And with that way, they stop any, any human being from claiming that they own uh, God's creation. Production of food is not the problem of humanity. I mean, we've solved that problem. We can feed double the population. So it's not in the in the, in the production uh, of of the uh, goods that humanity needs that uh, the problem rises, but in the uh, attempt to to mortgage humanity's future. That's I think that the virus that's plaguing us today. It's this fear or this um, this quest to own the future that is the bedrock of the rent-seeking behavior and the 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 urgency to uh, to hoard land, to hoard uh, any means of production that are gonna yield. Uh, future economic value and that's the model which is unsustainable and I think the, if we veer our production if as consumers we understand the decomposition of the price of any good and service that we put our hard-earned uh, dollars Australian or American or Canadian or British pounds or euros or Chinese Yuan into, we are going to be, we're going to be big in our own homes. If we don't manage to, to separate value from obligation, which is what uh, the, the rental markup of any price, uh, any price good is, and the value from production, which is the, the value that was created by the people who created and marketed and distributed that, that, that product, we're going to be the ones funding our own demise and the, and, the, and the corruption of our own political system. So we are the, the first culprits. We have to understand that. It's not some, yes, the corporations are evil. They have their own agenda. But at least we shouldn't be the useful idiot of that agenda. And we shouldn't be giving our money to the people who, uh, who initiate these vicious circles of, of, uh, of rent-taking. That's, that's what I'm trying to, to, to get at. Mm. I want broader awareness and, uh, um, and class concerns. The classes today is, is if you are forced to pay rent or not. That's what makes the economic classes. It's not uh, the bourgeois or the working class or the proletariat. Is Are you enslaved by being stuck and forced to pay unproductive rents in every price item or, or service you are, you, are, you are procuring or not? This is, this, this is the, 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 the modern class division. And we have to start developing that awareness. Otherwise, we're going to be puppeteered against our very own interests. It's a system which is really boondoggling for rentiers. And we have a system where, where intellectual property rights 
have extracted so much of the income that you get the growth of monopolies in the United States in particular, the, the five platform uh, corporations, who have blocked competition by buying up potential rivals. In the last 10 years, those five platform corporations have bought up over 500 other corporations. So as soon as they become potentially competitive, they buy it up. And they've been hoovering patents. So uh, Google, for example, bought Motorola at six billion, sold it two years later for two billion. Everyone thought, wow, they made a loss. But what they've done is they kept their 6,000 patents adding to their thousands and thousands of patents. But the big story, of course, is the emergence of China. Because China has become the leading country in the world filing patents. Okay, well, I just wanted to bring up two uh, of the key issues that have come up. You remember uh, Occupy Wall Street. One of them is the banking, the, the, the corruption of the banking industry. Uh, and the other is this surprising new uh, movement toward the idea of a, of a guaranteed basic income, which is coming from the tech industry. And they're, they're panicking because everybody's suddenly realizing that automation is going to um, replace everybody. And instead of turning that into a disaster, we should go back to what Keynes said, which is that we should all be living this life of leisure by 20, 2020, where we only work 10 hours, 20 hours a week and let machines do all the work. But the way the economy is structured now, that would be a disaster because everyone would be unemployed and have no money. So I just wanted to mention those two. But as far as the principles that, that I think we should follow, and that there hasn't been any sort of general agreement, um, I think Polanyi, in his book, The Great Transformation, summarized the three key issues that uh, have to be addressed. And he had actually addressed land, capital, and labor, all three of them. So he synthesized together Karl Marx, Adam Smith, and Henry George together into one vision, which I don't know that anyone else has done. And in that book, he realized uh, he sort of covered the historical process of from going from feudalism to the market um, system. And he, what he realized is that there were three major flaws, and that was that they, they turned human beings into commodities, they turned land into a commodity and they turned money into a commodity. And he said that, that the system, it'll lead to an absolute catastrophe if you do that. He called them false commodities. He called them fictitious commodities because they're not produced in a production process. So um, what that means is the, the best example I use, um, let's, let's start with land because that's the one um, we're both interested in. If you come, I, I wrote an article on um, Real World Economic Review, if you want to read it, it's called The Polanyi Matrix, for anyone listening. Um, and what happens is the reason why free enterprise works is because when there's competition, firms, companies enter into the market and, and bring new products in to compete with other products. What that does is it drives down prices and it makes us all better off because we can afford more stuff. And the, the, the best example of that is. Moore's Law, founder of Intel, if you're not familiar, wrote a famous paper in 1965. He said the number of transistors on an integrated circuit doubles every two years. And believe it or not, what is it now, 52 years later, it's still true. It's still doubling every two years, which is absolutely unbelievable, which is why all of our electronics are getting better and better and cheaper and cheaper. And 
and, and more and more powerful. So that's an example where, where free enterprise works because competition drives down prices. Now let's take, take land as an example. What does competition for land do? Well, competition for land drives prices up because there's a fixed supply. You can't enter and bring you know, new, new land onto the market very easily. So it, it drives prices up. So it actually makes us all worse off. So land works exactly the opposite of, of how a free enterprise economy is supposed to work. So it's a, a complete and utter market failure. And so what they do is they continue to try to deal with it through the market, which is impossible. So that's, that's one of the key issues that has to be addressed is, is, is getting land out of the market and getting rid of speculation and, and um, you know, taking that out of it. The second part is, is money. So we've turned money into a commodity instead of a stable means of exchange. And we've allowed banks to create the entire money supply, um, which, and then use it to speculate and, and buy and sell assets, which produce nothing. And this is what Michael Hudson talks about a lot. When you, when you buy and sell assets, you're producing nothing. You're just a parasite on the rest of the system, which is what the, what the financial system, the fire sector is now. It's a, it's a parasite sucking money out of the productive economy. So the second false commodity is, is money because it shouldn't be a commodity issued by banks. And the Bank of England admitted that 97% of the money is created by banks through, through loans because of fractional reserves. So we have to take that power away from the banks and issue money by um, government spending it on, on infrastructure and things like that, uh, which they've done in the past through greenbacks and other means. But the banks have now a monopoly on the creation of money. And the way they do it is a 70, 80% of their loans are for mortgages. So when we allow them to create money, we're also driving up the price of real estate at the same time. And the third false commodity are, are human beings in their, in their, um, in their role as, as labor. They're basically just a commodity that is used in the production process, like, say, a, a piece of uh, machinery or raw material. So a human being is treated like a, a piece of iron ore or like... Uh, a lathe or something that's just a, an input into a production process and your labor is bought and sold on labor markets and you no longer become a human being because the uh, owners of the uh, machinery can usually have the upper hand over over labor we don't have to go over that Marx, you know talked about that a lot so those are the three issues that have to be dealt with and one of the you know the main solution one of the main solutions to that is for for workers to own their own their own businesses. Worker-owned businesses is a key solution to that. So those would be the three issues that would have to be addressed in a new economy would be land, money, and labor. And um, I'm not sure that there's any consensus on that, but I think Polanyi has the most cohesive vision uh, on how to move forward on those three issues. How do we construct a dialogue among society which gets across the point that actually ever-increasing House prices and land prices is not a good thing. It's a damaging thing. It's a harmful thing. It's increasing inequality. It breeds financial instability, and it's contributing towards a significant housing crisis that's, that's harming lots of people. And, and that's the area where I think we need to do a lot more work because um, uh, you know it's it's easy to, to talk about the economics of it, or you know for you and I to talk about economic rent and uh, you know unearned income, but it's much more difficult to construct a narrative with the wider population about that. I think we've really, there's a kind of a, a truth that we've yet to confront in this country and many other countries, which is the trillions of pounds which have been amassed through the property market in recent decades through this uh, housing boom. 
this wealth has come straight out of the pockets of those who don't own property because when the value of a house goes up or the price of a house goes up the value of the land underneath it is, is really what's driving it and obviously that nothing new has been produced it's just the, the value of the land going up and we know you know from the early days of the classical economists that this is just pure economic rent it's not wealth creation it's wealth uh, extraction uh, and so the overall picture over the long term is that this is really a zero-sum game um, and that the, the wealth that's been accumulated uh, from from those who've accumulated wealth through the property market, this has come at the expense of current and future generations who don't own property and will see more of their incomes eaten up through higher rents or having to save more to put down uh, a deposit. So it's been an absolute key part of this rising story of, of inequality, I think, over the past kind of three to four decades. land hmm. a lot see I would tax land more just land than businesses land is not going to run away no land you don't tax the business you just tax land you want to use land you pay the land tax you know you don't like the land tax well you know you can't take the land away the land is there so it's a, it, that's a pure rent and it's where a lot of, of, of things get captured for example a lot of the, you'd say what is the secret of the wealth in China? say, well, China, all these manufacturing industries that export so much and so on. But if you look at the wealth in China, it's been captured by real estate and real estate and those that finance the real estate. So, so that, that part of the economy. So I think that part of the economy can tolerate more taxation. And there I'm, I'm in agreement with Guy that probably there's more. We need, we need to make sure that we tax the government adequately and that we try to, you know, taxing rents is less distortionary than taxing effort. So I think that there's a good efficiency reason yeah. in top of a, uh, of a redistributive reason to tax rents. Just have to ask, because I, I, I went through uni and the, virtually the first lesson, the number one formula written on the chalkboard was output equals capital plus labor and the story was you are going to discover how that occurs by the time it came to third year almost the last uh, last lecture was uh, look ladies and gents um, output does not equal labor plus capital and i'm sorry to say we have no idea why there are these disequilibriums going on there there's there's a missing element to economics Basically, I was shocked by this knowledge that output doesn't equal capital plus labor. So, uh, Professor Freeband, do you have a, an, an angle on why, why we can't get um, a f- the full picture behind uh, national GDP our output? I guess uh, the missing input is what you'd refer to as natural resources. Uh, so that's land. Um, and we can think of that in different contexts. Uh, we can think of it in terms of uh, agriculture that's producing food. Uh, we can think of it as location. So if you're in the CBD, uh, there's not much of it. Lots of people want to sit on it. Um, if you get further away from the CBD, not quite so many people want to sit on it. 
And if you get into the middle of the Simpson Desert, well, almost nobody wants to sit in it. Uh, so how do we allocate this limited land amongst different uses? Well, we have a price for it that's called rent. And so because lots of people want that land in the CBD, it's worth a hell of a lot per hectare. You go to the suburbs, it's down to 100 grand. You go out to a farm that can produce uh, high quality wine and fruit, probably worth a couple thousand a hectare. Uh, you can go out um, into the western districts and all it can do is run a few sheep and cattle, maybe a couple hundred bucks a hectare. And then you can go out to the Simpson Desert where it can run uh, some exotic plants, but almost for free. Uh, what's also interesting, I think, is that as uh, population has expanded and we've become wealthier, uh, land as an uh, environmental amenity provider has become more and more important. And so you can think of uh, water down the Murray-Darling, for example. Uh, you go back to about 1980, that was almost uh, irrigators had open slather at that. Uh, nobody really worried about the environment. And then, uh, hi, well, we were using too much water for irrigation. Some of the red gums were suffering. Water wasn't running into the Coorong. Uh, we decided, hey, we've got to change this allocation a bit. And so, um, you know, around uh, early this century, we've allocated about $12 billion, I think, uh, to buy water off irrigators, um, to uh, remove uh, wastage of water, essentially to pour more money down to the environment. And uh, that hasn't come to an end yet. That debate will keep going. So I think... Uh, just to make it simple for you people as students, we just use capital and labour as inputs, but we should really use uh, different types of capital, different types of labour, and a whole lot of natural resource inputs. And really, when we were talking earlier, the other great big input, of course, is knowledge. It's information. And that's really the input that is enabling us to have uh, higher productivity and higher living standards, and to really more comfortably live with our environment, with a bigger and bigger population. All right, listeners, finishing off there with Professor John Freeban. John Freeban, uh, my former economics professor at Monash University, revealing one of the core teachings on this show over the last 572 editions so uh, yeah this is the last weekly show i'm just sort of jumping in here to say uh, thanks to all the listeners who've contacted me from around the world over the years who've uh, come to events uh, who were uh, yeah i bump into in all sorts of places so uh, we're a rather small bunch but uh, passionate tax geeks can you believe that's what my life has come to talking about goddamn tax reform but uh, it is just so important to direct behavior in the right directions uh, preventative economics rather than allowing problems to occur and then scrounging around for more welfare more health costs more bailouts uh, can't believe the alp has this week announced that uh, more developer handouts will continue the build to rent momentum is uh, going to be underwritten by uh, uh, this new uh, 
uh, affordable rental scheme they've got where they're giving institutional type investors eight and a half thousand dollars a year for 15 years if they provide a discounted rent of a massive 20 percent my god that will do nothing giving subsidies is the wrong way to go about it uh, putting a lid on those land prices is what really should be happening that's what was referenced in the age this week i was uh, very happy to get a couple of quotes in there alongside cameron murray talking about how uh, this really is another developer's handout all sorts of politics no doubt going on as labor tries to bring some of the property lobby on board with uh, their looming reforms for capital gains tax and uh, negative gearing so uh, we'll keep the pressure on uh, yeah make sure you keep in touch by uh, contacting uh, renegades at earthsharing.org.au and uh, yeah I'm uh, quite happy to put anyone who sends me their uh, full contact details uh, on our trial subscriber list where you get the magazine I edit called Progress Magazine, which has been running for uh, coming up to 115 years. So uh, incredible to be part of that fabric, this uh, subtle resistance against uh, the vested interests by uh, using economic language uh, and the power of uh, being able to harness uh, efficiency to deliver opportunity. And that's what taxing economic rents, the unearned income does. These monopoly rents uh, must be taxed away. As uh, you've heard me uh, rant on about uh, rental-backed mortgage securities for most of the, well, the last couple of years, well, uh, yeah... The one we have to watch out for is uh, Economic Opportunity Zones, the new uh, tool coming out of uh, Ivanka Trump's uh, policy fraud dream list. And, uh, yeah, that's where they're giving discounts to property investors to buy up in uh, uh, poverty-stricken areas to uh, help supposedly fund the urban renewal in that area really uh, code for uh, gentrification, a.k.a. economic warfare, upon those uh, who've missed out on the first-come, first-served type economic paradigm we live under. All right. uh, Yeah, hope you enjoy uh, your uh, summer reading. Let's turn up uh, some rock with uh, the track of the year by Vought called Share the Rents. Shake the cage, put the bars down. 
breakdown of world finance is that essentially the crooks took over and were promoted on the guise that crime is the free market. Crime is the American way. Crime is what the Washington consensus supports. Uh, yeah.